0: Welcome, Bouncer Backers, to this week's episode of Bouncing Back Stronger, the podcast where we explore the incredible power of resilience, personal growth, and triumph over adversity. I'm your host, Sarah-Jane Vaspers, and I'm thrilled to embark on this transformative journey with you. Whether you're seeking inspiration, guidance, or simply reminder that you're not alone on your journey, Bouncing Back Stronger is here to support and empower you. We believe that every setback is an opportunity for a comeback, and every challenge is a chance for growth. Let's go. Welcome to today's episode of Bouncing Back Stronger. Today we are going to delve deep into the realm of psychedelic mushrooms with my special guest, Eliza Collins. She is an expert in this field, and a rather interesting one it is. I do have an interest in mushrooms uh, due to the fact of my affiliation with Organo Bireminiscence, where they use the reishi, Cordyceps, uh, Lion's Mane mushroom in their coffees. These aid everything from stress, anxiety, immune system, menopause, performance, you name it. However, those mushrooms won't give you hallucinations. Psychedelic mushrooms have been shown to aid individuals in rebounding from acute depression, complex PTSD, and even addiction, where perhaps your usual, I don't know, Western medication hasn't really worked for them. Now, despite their historical use and practices like Chinese medicine spanning centuries, it is important to note that psychedelic mushrooms do remain prohibited across the globe, including the UK. Nevertheless, their emergence as a potent therapeutic avenue has ignited riveting debates and conversations, something that I am really interested in. Hey, if you can bounce back from something that you thought was going to be with you for the rest of your life, why not investigate? So join us as we tune in and embark on a really illuminating exploration of this subject. I promise it's going to blow your mind. So today we have an absolute interesting conversation with an amazing guest who is an expert in psychedelic treatment. A little controversial here in the UK as psychedelics are still illegal. However, it has come to the forefront of very important conversations within medicine, particularly when treating depression, severe depression other areas such as perhaps bipolar and also in the field of addiction but my guest the expert Eliza Collins is going to tell us more because it even blew my mind and I learned so much. I actually befriended Eliza because I thought it was just all about the mushrooms really and You know that I love my mushroom coffee and I talk about the reishi coffee and, you know, the lion's mane and your corset. But this is a little bit more, more, more intense. It's a little bit, a little bit more than that, isn't it, Eliza? So welcome, Eliza. Thank you so, so much for joining us today. I couldn't be happier. And you are coming all the way from?
1: Rhode, Rhode Island in the United States, Providence, Rhode Island. So I'm across the pond. thank you for having me
0: indeed and uh, we're so happy that uh, you've come to us today and uh, the power of technology i know
1: i know it's great i've met so many people from all over the world doing these these types of things these podcasts so it's amazing
0: it is it's brilliant it is so the podcast is called bouncing back stronger so eliza you got in touch with me and you said you'd like to, you know, come on on onto the podcast and talk about primarily really the psychedelics. I mean, you are also a burnout recovery specialist and you are also a doctor of acupuncture, but it's the psychedelics, isn't it? That's really, that's really something, an area that you've been working on and focusing on.
1: Yeah, it's something that I became passionate about as an extension of those things that I did because the bulk of the work that I do is acupuncture and burnout recovery with people. And that's because I became an acupuncturist as a result of kind of not wanting to go into the biomedical system Mm -hmm. because I was pre-med and I became a burnout specialist because I burnt out myself in the process of being an entrepreneur and building a business and having patterns of childhood trauma and, you know, growth and things like that impact my adult life. So that's how I got into both of those. And I did a lot of work on myself over the course of 20 years in therapy, Uh did my burnout recovery, did, you know, functional medicine and the physical element of recovery I've been working on for a few years. And I felt like I was just kind of stuck. So I had learned all of these amazing somatic techniques like breathing techniques and yoga nidra and all of these types of things that are supposed to help bring our parasympathetic nervous system online and calm our sympathetic nervous system and bring us out of fight or flight. And I knew all of them and I would do them and it would feel like they weren't very effective. And so I got to a point in my life where I don't have panic attacks often or anxiety attacks, but I would have an anxiety attack And I could tell you in the middle of the anxiety attack what was biologically and biochemically happening in my body, but I couldn't get myself to really fully calm down and come back to ground very well. So I had a very, very high, a very low threshold for stress, and, and I would hit that threshold very quickly. And I work with veterans, the United States military, in my acupuncture practice, and some of them had utilized psychedelics for post-traumatic stress disorder. And as, I, and as I started understanding more about my life and my past, I realized that I had complex PTSD okay. from my childhood trauma, which was my mother passing away when I was a baby. Oh. Uh, so that's what we refer to as pre-verbal trauma. And so I didn't have words and emotions, you know, at the time to express my emotions because I was I was 13 months old. And so that stayed in my body. And that's what I had been trying to to deal with and couldn't. So I decided to find a coach and utilize psychedelic mushrooms as the next step in my journey. And after doing that for the first time in my life, I could feel my body. I felt embodied. I could feel the way emotions interact in my body, and I could interact with them in a new way. And so it created a brain-body somatic connection that had literally been severed in me as a result of my history and my trauma.
0: So Eliza, just to just for the audience really, what is a psychedelic?
1: That's a great question. So there are several different types of compounds mm-hmm. that are considered psychedelics. So there are plant medicines like mushrooms. Mm-hmm. and Well, mushrooms aren't plants, they're fungi. I get so specific about that, but they get kind of lumped into plant medicines. Yeah. There are different types of plant medicines like ayahuasca. There are... Sort of chemically produced compounds like LSD and MDMA, which is ecstasy. Right. And a hallucinogen is something that acts on your, your body and your brain at certain receptors, usually serotonin receptors, in, in the case of most of these, certainly with mushrooms, which is what I specialize in. So, you know, LSD, MDMA, that type of stuff, those are all psychedelics. Those are not my area of specialty. But they act on your brain in a way that helps different parts of your brain that wouldn't normally be able to talk to one another okay. to actually start talking. So, when we take higher doses of these things, this is what people refer to as tripping. And that's why sometimes people say that they can taste colors or they can see music, because the parts of the brain that deal with taste and vision and sound communicate in a way that they normally don't when you are not on a psychedelic.
0: Okay. So, if your parts of your brain are not communicating, what does that mean for that particular individual? It depends. So,
1: like normally on day to day function, we don't want the visual and the auditory cortex to communicate that way because we wouldn't be able to walk through life. Yeah. Be overwhelmed. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But when we have trauma, when we have challenges, when we have stress, when we have anxiety, Different parts of our brain not being able to connect makes it harder for us to be able to regulate our state and regulate our emotions. And being a burnout specialist, one of the things that happens in burnout is our prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for our executive function. So our decision making, our ability to focus, our inhibitory behaviors. So this is why these things are important when it comes to addiction. Yeah. That that part of the brain shrinks and the connections break down. So being able to utilize a psychedelic under a safe and supported environment can help some of help some of those connections reestablish mm-hmm. and that effect can last after the psychedelic is out of your system. And so that's why we do what we call integration work. So if somebody takes a microdose or a large dose, you still want to work with a specialist or a guide or a coach afterward to process what's happening to be able to help solidify those connections. Because in the brain, there's something called Hebb's law, which is neurons that fire together, wire together. So the more we think about something, the more we do something, the more that cements in our brain. So when we're learning a language or an instrument, that's why we practice. But when we also have negative thoughts about ourselves, like I'm not good enough, or we have imposter syndrome, yeah. or we think the worst of a situation, that's also going to create that strong neural connection.
0: So even perhaps we have, we, you know, we've got constructive things that mm-hmm. our brain can do. And then we've got this, this, you know, we have the destructive side and I'm namely probably thinking addiction here as well, because if you keep doing something, you know, that, that's over and over again, then that's where obviously the problems arise. I mean,
1: addiction, but psychedelics have also been used to treat things like OCD. So OCD is a, almost a type of addiction, uh-huh. but it's something that people do for a sense of security and a sense of safety. And that is often what people who are addicted to substances do as well, Yeah, because it, it puts us in a state, it changes our, our neurochemistry temporarily to make us feel like we have control over something, even if we don't, mm-hmm. or it gives us a sense of safety People, we're always looking for a sense of safety and secure attachment. and if we can't get that from our relationships sometimes we look to substances.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So who else can it help, Eliza? So it can help people with addiction, it can help people with OCD. Yeah, what what other areas would would it help? would, would you see that it help? Yeah, the areas that have largely been studied have been PTSD
1: and treatment resistant anxiety and depression. So for people who have, you know, gone through large trauma, big T trauma, like I had losing a parent at a pre-verbal age or little T trauma, which is just having a parent who isn't present or who is, you know, the daily criticism that comes along with that, that type of sort of smaller, but incredibly impactful abuse. That's really Um, interesting,
0: actually, because I think even our listeners, they might say, Well, I've had no trauma in my life because we always assume that trauma has to be, you know, I guess really big, you know, something that is absolutely, you know, horrifying, but we can all have small traumas as well, can't we? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And and
1: that type of thing can happen even when the people in our lives have the best of intentions. Mm -hmm. So if someone is a single parent, a single mom or a single dad, and they have to work two or three jobs to be able to support their family, that means they're less present. And so one of their kids, perhaps the oldest kid, may take on the responsibility of the family and then feel like they have to hide their emotions so that they don't overwhelm their parent. So the parent isn't abusing them in any way, shape, or Uh form. They're doing the best that they can, but that still isn't necessarily a secure attachment. And that, to me, is a reflection of a larger societal problem that we have that I unfortunately can't fix in one fell swoop. But that is the type of thing that we would consider little T trauma if it impacts somebody later in life in a way that gives them unhealthy coping mechanisms or that makes them take responsibility for the emotions of the people around them or hide what they're feeling and avoid expressing themselves in in a healthy and meaningful way that can create connections. So yeah, there's definitely big T trauma and little T trauma. But can one of the populations... Us... Sorry. Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
0: Well, I um... say, could you tell us exactly how how it works I know you mentioned it before but can you tell us exactly how does it work you know I come to you for example I'm suffering from severe depression you know I've tried my antidepressants or I'm you know uh, yeah I've tried my antidepressants I didn't feel really any better with them maybe slightly but perhaps not so noticeable um, mm-hmm. you know and, and maybe it almost would you say it like you know using a psychedelic perhaps in this culture at the moment will be my last resort
1: yeah yeah so when people with things like ptsd or complex ptsd or treatment resistant anxiety depression come to me Uh i usually refer them out to treatment resistant therapists or psychedelic assisted therapy so my specialty is actually when you had asked about like the populations of people that this can help my specialty is with people who have day-to-day stress and anxiety and burnout and they can manage it, but they're they're really feeling burdened by all of it. So it's not yeah. something that's you know keeping them in bed. It's not something that that's preventing them from being able to. But connect perhaps with it people. is more of
0: a pre- preventative measure. So before they get to that stage, yeah, you know, it, it before it goes too far, before it goes to that stage where they can't get out of bed in the morning, it's yeah. like actually I need some help. I'm going downwards in a spiral, and they come to you, and that's yep. where you bring in the psychedelics.
1: Yeah, and I use it in a microdosing sense. So a lot of the research that's been done in things like treatment-resistant anxiety and depression, PTSD, addiction, most recently anorexia nervosa, those tend to be large dose circumstances. That's so what those research could conditions. You, could you
0: explain to us what's microdosing? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So
1: these larger doses tend to be anywhere from like one to maybe at the max five grams. It depends on the research study. That type of dose is going to get you what we think of as a traditional trip. So that is going to be seeing patterns, seeing fractals, you know, walls looking like they're breathing. I saw something recently on social media. Somebody in Amsterdam went and got legal like mushroom truffles or something, you know, truffle Mm infused chocolate, something like that, and went to the Van Gogh Museum because the Van Gogh painted that style of painting looks Mm -hmm. really neat when you're on mushrooms. So those types of things may happen, but you're also going to get the bigger emotional experiences. So the breaking down of the sense of self, feeling like you're one with the universe, sometimes the anxiety that comes with that. It can be really anxiety producing. With microdosing, you're taking an incredibly small dose. So you're taking a fraction of this. And microdoses usually start at 0.1 0.1 grams. Oh, wow. So very, very small. Yeah. And they usually don't go higher than 0.25 to 0.3. So that would be 100 milligrams to 250 milligrams, about. And so, with that, we're not getting the visual hallucinations. We're not getting those feelings of euphoria. We're getting just enough in the system to be able to think a little bit differently. And create changes in our mindset, in our coping mechanisms, in things like that. But we can still function in day to day life. Mm -hmm. So people that I know, you know, don't have like medical licenses or things like that, but like who work a desk job or who work online, they may microdose a couple of times a week and do that work intentionally. So a microdose is a very, very small dose. And I should actually take you through sort of the range of doses. Microdose is that very small dose where you tend to not feel effects. A mini dose is a little bit more than that, maybe 0.3 to 0.5, where you might start to feel some of that warm, fuzzy euphoria. A museum dose is about what we talked about taking in Amsterdam. So it's usually still, and this is also, these are estimates based on people's tolerance. So somebody can take a gram and that's a museum dose.
0: You said a microdose, you wouldn't feel any effects. So Mm -hmm. how would that be beneficial?
1: Because the compound is still working in your brain. Right. Even though you're not necessarily feeling the effect.
0: Right. Okay.
1: So that the the sort of border of that between a microdose and a mini dose, I I usually describe as feeling like you've had a half a glass of wine on an empty stomach. Right. You're not dysfunctional. You you know, you everything looks normal. You can but you know something's in your system. Something's a little bit different. So that's kind of that border that we're looking to stay under.
0: Yeah. I see. With microdosing. And you know, I think you mentioned something earlier, but I'll, I'll ask you now: if you're if you're taking psychedelics, would you always take them, say, with with yourself or with a therapist, or would you take them at home? You, you know, how do, what does it look like? How how does that work?
1: That depends on the landscape of where you live and the legalities. So, okay. <laughs> in I know in the UK it's still illegal. In the yeah. US federally so across the united states the the u.s government the federal government considers it illegal various states and municipalities like cities and townships are legalizing or decriminalizing it they have the authority to do that and so that means that like the police won't really look into it they won't make it a priority yeah in certain places like colorado you can legally have a certain amount in amount in your possession, and that's okay. And you can do that recreationally. You can do it therapeutically. So it really just depends. Okay. For somebody who's never done it, I highly recommend doing it with a specialist, whether you're microdosing or macrodosing. Yeah. And if you're going to acquire it, you need to be mindful of if it's legal in your area. You. Yeah. I know people who still do it, Yeah. but you're taking a different risk I'll go to when us. you do Yeah, or or go to Amsterdam, yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Some place where it's decriminalized or
1: legalized. If you're going to be doing a large dose, I highly recommend at the very least having what's called a trip sitter, which is somebody who can help support you through the process. If you need to get up and go to the bathroom, if you want the lighting changed or the sound or you're you're struggling emotionally and you want somebody to hold your hand, Mm -hmm. somebody who's at least a bit familiar with that process to sit with you and do it. And if you're going to be working on bigger issues like anxiety, OCD, PTSD, things like that, you—it's my personal feeling that you should be working with a specialist. That is not something that you should be working with on your own, yeah. because when we take these compounds, like we said, it, it acts on the brain and it creates this window of neuroplasticity, this window of flexibility that persists in the days and weeks after you take a psychedelic, and that's kind of where. The magic of magic mushrooms lies, as I always say. Mm. And being able to process those feelings with somebody else who can help you do that
0: Mm -hmm.
1: tends to make that work more effective. And it makes it stick. That's where the good results come from. It's not just that you're taking a compound and feeling better, it's that you're taking a compound that affects your brain in a way that makes it easier and more effective to do the type of work that you would do in therapy or coaching.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You, you need that support, I, I think, you know, to process and to reflect perhaps on, you know, what's just happened. How did you feel? How do you feel Precisely. now? How do you feel afterwards? You know, so what's the law like where you are right now?
1: In Rhode Island, in the state where I'm in, we're in hopefully in the process of decriminalizing it. So legislation came through. We have, we have two different chambers. Like the federal government does, we have a House of Representatives and we have a Senate and a bill passed in the Senate to decriminalize it, which would mean that you could legally possess up to an ounce of psilocybin and that you could grow it and cultivate it for and your own personal use. Psilocybin is the
0: main compound, isn't it? Within it's the, mus- the main compound in magic
1: yeah. mushrooms. Yes. Yeah. So you would be able to cultivate it. I think there was also a thing where you could gift it so you couldn't sell it, but you could give a certain amount to someone that you know and that legislation now has to get through the senate which we're hoping hoping happens next year so hopefully within the next 12 months it will be decriminalized here wow in other areas locally in massachusetts which is one of our neighboring states mm-hmm. several townships have decriminalized it washington dc has decriminalized it colorado i think has legalized it oregon has legalized it for medical use so so it depends on the state you know
0: if if lots of states have already started well we say here get the ball rolling yeah and there are a lot of states where there
1: is active legislation so even if something hasn't been passed yet and it's on both sides of the aisle so in the states we've got republicans and democrats as the two major parties there's legislation in both Republican-led states and democratically-led states. Yeah, And there was just an initiative put forward by two members of the, the Federal House of Representatives, one a Republican from, I think, Texas, and one a Democrat from New York, specifically to prioritize this for veterans and treatment of PTSD in veterans. So there is very active, continuing, living legislation happening all the time in the United States.
0: So are the success rates... You know, how how is it measured I guess you know how is it you know so they are legalizing it you know it's looking very positive over there in the states I mean I was listening to a podcast the other day around psychedelics and the professor David Nutz I think he's really he, he's about the only person I think or one of the only people at the moment sort of like researches psychedelics and he's very very supportive of them in fact he used to work as a government medical advisor, I think, and I think he got sacked because of his views uh, surrounding them. He did say that the UK is still very, very much behind, unfortunately. So look into the States, which is quite often what the UK do to the States. What are the, you know, success rates like? And and I guess if it has been illegal, how is it measured? You know, how do we know that it is more effective, say than you know, an antidepressant or, you know, CBT, for example?
1: Yeah. So a lot of the research studies are you know, they've been doing them for several years. And so we're, we're looking to that right now. Right, Some of them have indicated that for people who are utilizing it for PTSD, OCD, treatment resistant anxiety and depression, they usually do one to two trips, large dose trips over the course of several weeks. And then they do preparation therapy. They have somebody sitting with them during the experience. And then they do several sessions of integration therapy the studies that I've seen indicate that with follow-up after a year, people are still symptom free. So wow. that's pretty wow. huge. People have been able to go off antidepressants and not need to come back on them. Yeah. 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 So they're managing their symptoms. People with OCD being able to say, like, I still have the thoughts, but it doesn't translate to the action. Yeah. And it and they, they it stops making sense as to why I would do that. So there's been some really, really phenomenal results in terms of of long-term efficacy. And again, the studies are still fairly new. The research is still coming out. So we're going to have to continue doing follow-ups with those patient populations from those research studies. But the, the indication so far is that it's extraordinarily promising.
0: Wow. I told you it'll blow you away. So isn't it promising to think that these people in these research groups, after just one year, needed no further medication? absolutely astounding, especially when they have been battling their condition for many years and nothing else worked. Join me for part two next Wednesday when we'll hear more from Eliza and who can benefit from psychedelics and the progress being made. I know you won't want to miss it, so I'll see you then. Bye for now. And that's a wrap for this episode of Bouncing Back Stronger. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you found inspiration and valuable insights to help you bounce back stronger in your own life. I'd love to hear from you. So please feel free to share your thoughts, insights, or personal stories of resilience by reaching out to me via email or my social media channels in the show notes. I'll leave you with this. Resilience is a journey and we're in this together. Farewell for now, Bouncer Backers, and I look forward to seeing you all next week for more like this.